Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And today we answer your questions. Because of the Thursday night game, uh, typically on our Wednesday pod, we would go over the game. We did that on Monday. And so we have kind of a a free pod, if you will, Logan. Uh, So we are... Uh, we are following the Dan Snyder story literally as we're recording this at 1:10 on Wednesday or on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, there was just a letter released uh, from the Katz and Banks law firm about uh, some concerns with sources uh, or some some the enemies list, so to speak, as it was deemed by Congress uh, in new revelations from the ESPN article. Like there's a lot happening with that story. The D.C. Attorney General might have findings that come out uh, today. Tuesday is recording, so. What I will say is this. We are constantly following that live on the radio. That is where radio is at its absolute best. The ability to react to things live, make sense of it. Uh, the problem with the podcast, while it's great for so many things, is that it can become very quickly dated. So what we're going to do is kind of stick to football, not in a like, hey, stick to sports kind of way, but just in a, we don't want to say something and have it be outdated by the time this actually gets heard. So we will stick to things that uh, will be relevant by the time that this podcast comes out, which is going to be for us on the field. So Tune into the Team 980. Tune into 106.7 The Fan for continuing coverage of that story. And we will certainly have it for you in spades on our two radio stations. So with that, Logan, uh, we had questions submitted via Twitter. We had questions submitted via Instagram. Uh, our YouTube uh, action is skyrocketing. Uh, so maybe <laughs> next time we do a mailbag, we'll have YouTube questions as well. Uh, but let's start off with the most obvious one. Ron Rivera has announced that Carson Wentz uh, is going to be out for a while. Uh, that Taylor Heineke will start against Green Bay. Uh, the latest is that Wentz is going to start his rehab in L.A. where he had the surgery uh, yesterday. And then after about three days of rehab, they'll decide whether or not to put him on IR. Uh, but uh, at Doink Star, which I don't think is like a former Bears kicker. I don't think that's like a double Doink situation. I don't think I don't think that's who that is. But Doink Star uh, asks us, why start Taylor at this point with the rest of the division so far ahead? worth seeing what Sam can do. And that kind of goes with this question from Billy, who says, what specifically does a team do during a season to help a rookie quarterback learn to play in the NFL? And how is that progress evaluated? How does the process compare to actual playing in terms of helping to educate a young QB? What are the chances the team already knows Sam's ceiling? So let's start with kind of where Sam is and the decision to start Taylor. And then we can go into that second part of the question. Yeah, I mean, those are both really good questions. Um, so let's, yeah, like you said, let's start with the Taylor thing. Um, or the decision to start Taylor, right? That was what you said? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so decision to start Taylor. And the, the simplest way I can put this is that Sam Howell right now is not ready. And I think in 2022, 2021, all these recent football uh, kind of draft classes, we are extremely spoiled in the development curve for quarterbacks. These guys traditionally we're given a year maybe two years to kind of develop and mature and, and grow in offenses and it's only been recently that they've kind of been expected to come in and play right away so when you look at sam's game specifically he's a guy that i think has talent i think everyone can see his talent it was on display in the preseason but you know if you look back who was the team we played in the first preseason game i forget now but the first uh, preseason game whoever it was the first preseason game a million years ago feels like now he is struggling to kind of work through progressions at an NFL speed 
excuse me, NFL ball placement, all those kinds of things are just somewhat lacking. Now he's, he made plays, he made plays with his legs. You saw his arm talent. But if you look at Justin Fields, for example, because we just saw him recently, the thing that he struggles with is not the physical talent, but it's the processing speed. It's the comfortability, if that's a word, with the offense, with the reads, with his progressions. And that's just not there yet. And if there was a young quarterback like Sam in the, in the game, defenses would totally take advantage of him, especially this Green Bay defense. Like, I think people think because Green Bay has struggled the last two weeks um, that their defense is not very good. Like, when you turn the tape on, they jump off the tape. They have a very good pass rush. They've got very good coverage players. They only, you know, everyone says, oh, they've given up 300 yards rushing the past couple of weeks. The only reason that happens is because there's kind of these specific game plan runs in the New York game and in the um, in both New York games, the Giants and the Jets that kind of led to big plays. So it's not like you can lean on the run game, I think, the way a lot of fans are anticipating you can, because versus conventional run stuff, it is a bloody mess. They are very, very good. So Sam would have to carry a lot of this responsibility, and he is just not – he's not there yet. He's just not ready, and that's fine. He's a fifth-round pick. I know he's very talented. There was talk about him being the first pick overall. Um, obviously, that is – yeah, By a the end of his, his uh, last season at Carolina, he had become a fifth-round pick. Right. And and again, that's not a knock on him. And I think right. he can play in the league at some point, but he's just not ready right now. And so with the season still kind of, you know, in reach, so to speak, if the offense can figure it out, um, playing him just would, would be doing the whole roster a disservice, quite frankly. Right. I think it's important to remember there's 53 guys and 60, whatever it is now, if you count practice squad. And, and if you play a player at a certain position where you seem to be favoring that player's development over the wellness of the team or the well-being of the team, and, and a detriment to their chances to win, unless it's a lost season and, and there's multiple players where that's happening, that's that's a way to lose a locker room. That's a way to cause resentment, by the way, at that player. Like, I don't know that that's the best situation for Sam. Um, and, and also, I think this is an interesting question. Uh, and in terms of quarterback specifically, I feel like it's a little bit different, but to a, to a degree, all positions, right? What is the balance of playing a guy, letting him get that experience and learn versus the damage that can be done if you play a guy too early and you whether it's create bad habits or you know spook a guy a little bit where he just doesn't like you kind of kill his confidence like how do you balance even when it's the right time to play a guy like Sam Howell who isn't ready yet I mean if there's a guy who's close I think you want to go that way I think Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh's a good example like he's close and you got to see what you got there because you're going to be quite frankly in a position where you're going to have a very high pick again this year so you got to know what you got there in the first round pick so you got to know they keep messing around and winning games Mike Tomlin <laughs> a little uh, that guy he just he just messes around and wins games all the time he's just a not, guy not who wins fair. Games. how do we do yeah. that how do we get one of those guys <laughs> um but yeah so I think that um in that situation where you spend a lot of draft cap on a guy, um, a guy who's who by everyone in the league standard was a first round quarterback, you picked him. You got to see with a fifth round pick, even a fourth or third round pick. I'm not sure it's that that important, quite frankly, to see what you have with a player. I think you see him every day in practice. You saw him in the preseason. You saw him in the off season. You kind of know who he is at this point, right? And I think in in addition to knowing who he is and 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 kind of seeing his development. He also has zero opportunity with the ones like he gets no reps with Terry McLaurin while Taylor and right. some of these other guys, they do get reps with Terry. So I think that's another thing that's important here, but I don't think with a guy in, who's a fifth round pick, I don't think it's that important to really know what you have. There, there's not an expectation that he's going to be anything really spectacular. I don't think, I mean, is there Craig, you would know better than me. I mean, it depends on who you're asking. <laughs> like, Amongst football people, I don't think there's some expectation, but I think amongst the fan base because who watched Howell throw for 280 against the Ravens. By the way, that first game was against Carolina, and he comes in, and you're like, whoa, he can do some stuff. His arm is electric. Yeah. And considering the lack of talent, like not necessarily lack of good play um, and, and for various guys. I mean, Alex had a couple of okay runs. You know, but really, since Kirk, you haven't even seen good play on any kind of consistent basis from quarterback. And the way Kirk did it didn't like jump off the screen. Um, you haven't seen outside of Wentz, ironically, a guy with that kind of talent come through here in a long time. And like, you know, Garrett Gilbert had massive arm talent, but he was Garrett Gilbert with all due respect. Right. right? Like people knew like, oh, he can't play in the league. A guy that's a draft pick who had a little bit of that pub coming out. I think that is where it becomes a little bit different is I think the expectation is that 
if Howell got a chance with the ones, oh, he would figure it out. And I, mm. and by the way, I took a bunch of calls yesterday uh, with Heineke with that. It's like, well, how do you know Heineke's not the guy? He's never been given a chance. Like they've never built around him. And it's like, yeah, there's a reason for that. Mm. And, and I think that there's a little bit of the chicken and the egg that makes it impossible to disprove. It makes it impossible for us to go, even if we feel like with our level of expertise and knowledge and, you know, ability to talk to the the folks involved and, and certainly on with, with you, like your experience of seeing it with different guys in the league over the course of a decade that you were playing, the counterfactual is always impossible to mm-hmm. disprove. It's like, okay, well, what if they just said from the time they drafted him, they never, I mean, at that point, Wentz was here, but they were just like, nope, Sam Howell's the guy. And they drafted him and they, they empowered him in every single way. Like, what would it look like? And the answer is we don't know. Right. But, the chances are it probably wouldn't be very good because otherwise he would have, wouldn't have been a fifth round pick. And if he was capable of that, if he was a Russell Wilson, he would have went out and beat them out for the job. It would have been so undeniable like Terry was when he got here. Like they had signed uh, some other guys and spent first round picks and whatever the year Terry was drafted. And Terry just came out and beat them all out for the, the job as a third rounder who was supposed to be this ace special teams player. He was just like, wow, that dude's incredible. He's our new starting best receiver. And he had a thousand yards or very close to it in rookie year. And so I think that the the expectations, I understand them on like an intellectual level uh, of where fans come up with them because they're like, oh, well, he's got talent because it's, it's easier to see arm talent. It's easier to see what he did and the production he did have in the preseason versus you go back, going back, watching the film and understanding what he missed, what he missed and the trouble that he could get the team into because you have the ability to project based off of your experience where an average fan, if we're just being honest, does not. And, and frankly, uh, to a lot, a large extent, neither do I. Yeah. And so I think that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And so if I was going to give you kind of an analogy here, like um, I, I, you're familiar with high school football, Craig, uh, Craig, right? Most of our yeah. fans or listeners are familiar with a lot more of our, our listeners played in high school than they did the NFL. Right. So I'll say this there, you know, everyone says, oh, like, what's the difference between JV and varsity, right? And you can have a really good football player on the JV football team. He understands conceptually what's going on. He can tackle, he can run, he can do all those things. But when you kind of go from that JV roster to the varsity, you know, they, they play games on Tuesday now, the JV guys, and then they go play on varsity on the weekends. And there's a huge difference in the speed and the physicality of the varsity level, right? And I know for fans, it doesn't seem like there's a difference when you're watching an NFL game between the the kind of the guys who are playing in the second half of a preseason game and the rest of the NFL. I have played in all the preseason games, the fourth preseason game, and the pre in the fourth preseason game. I don't want to say is a joke, but you're basically playing like in a college all star game, and right. all of that experience that you've gleaned and you've gained like gives you such a tremendous advantage. The game feels slow in that fourth preseason game and i wasn't even like a tremendous athlete or anything like that but just because of how hill the fourth preseason i love the i was the master of fourth preseason games because like you were good enough to be like you were an nfl player for 10 years like you were on rosters like you were good enough to be a guy who was playing snaps in the nfl on a field with a bunch of guys who weren't that or were maybe trying to be that right and all of a sudden you're the best player on the field like that matters and you were that in a lot of fourth preseason games and so I think there's like a, there's a little bit of, there's a speed element, obviously there's an intellectual element. And so, you know, some of the stuff that he did against Carolina where he's running all over the place, like that's dead in the NFL. Like he'll, he'll have a couple scrambles, but it's the speed of the defensive linemen of the linebackers. And it's also the recognition with which they approach things, right? It's like immediately they see stuff and the closing speed, the windows, the way things tighten up is just a different animal, right? And so to me, it is very similar to like that JV to varsity jump. You are playing the same sport. You can play together, but you're not going to elevate anything. You're not going to play at a high level. And I think a lot of uh, fans or listeners are probably like, well, and a JV guy, he'll develop, right? And I'm not saying Sam won't develop, but I think he's probably a year or two away from kind of those meaningful reps in an NFL game, from just being ready to handle that, right? Because it's also the game plan is simplified in the preseason. It's really shrunken down to probably like you probably have five run plays, maybe six run plays, and maybe 10 pass plays that you're going to execute. And that allows the coaches and the staff to evaluate the, the roster, right? And that's the whole point of the preseason. You don't want them being sluggish and overthinking things. You want to just see how they run and how they move and how they do stuff. So that's what it gives you. So you say, oh, this is what Sam Howell's upside is. You see the arm talent, you see the athleticism, but also you see some of the things that 
degraded him to a fifth round pick against lesser competition. You right. see him kind of leaving footballs inside. You see him um, kind of putting the ball in harm's way. You see him holding the football way too long. And I think that's maybe one of the most important things is it shows a slower processing speed. And against with this offensive line and the situation that it's in, that's going to be a huge factor because teams now understand you're going to see real NFL third down blitz packages, which you won't see at all in the preseason. You're going to see that on third down. They're going to heat you up. You're going to see real NFL pass rushers. You're going to, the size, the speed, everything is different. So if you want him to develop and be the guy that you think he can be in two or three years, which, which could be a high-end backup or it could be out of the league. Who knows, right? Right. You need to give him the best opportunity to do that. And throwing him into the lion's den is not that. Like, think about any, like, young quarterback. I think about the guy who played for uh, Dallas in the COVID year, 2020, who came in and we got him both times with that guy at the quarterback spot. And he just wasn't ready. And I think that's kind of what Sam would look like. He just wouldn't be ready. Like, would he make a play? Could he make a throw? Sure. But – would he be able to elevate the roster or even execute the offense at a, at a level that's required to be effective at this point in his career? No. And so you're doing a favor to Sam by keeping him out and you're doing a favor to the roster by keeping Taylor in. And I think that's good for everybody right now. He's going to get two reps in practice, which is great because Carson's not here. That'll help his development. That's a good thing. That's learning. That's an opportunity, but he's not ready right now. So that gets to the other question, which is what do they do? Uh, to develop him. Like you mentioned the two reps in practice. And um, I'm guessing you mean that in a quite literal sense um, because typically there's like eight reps in a period or 10 reps in a period and eight or six to eight will go to the starter. And then you get right. two, but like he's also running the scout team and right. how that does that change at all with him now being the backup. So what can they do if he's ultimately got to adjust to that? How do they get him reps outside of a game so that he's not just sitting there watching from right now until whenever it is that he ultimately gets a chance to play, if he gets a chance to play. So ultimately, the, the things you mentioned are, are right on point, right? The, um, the the those two reps with the with the ones are important, but also running the scout team now. That's something he probably was not doing before. That was Taylor's responsibility. But now you're going to get to go up against an NFL defense, and I know it's going to be kind of eighty percent speed. It's not going to be a thousand miles an hour, but at least you'll get to see. Okay, like this is a good blitz package here. How do we pick this up? This is where I'm hot. We run the same concept. How does the timing work out versus guys who know how to cover it? And I think those those reps are so valuable. My biggest growth as a player came from my own initiative, right? So it came from scout team because you had to do scout team. But it also came from me staying after and working with John Beck, one of the guys who I really attribute a lot of my development to because he would stay after and we would go through the whole practice script again because he was trying to get his reps too. So I think that initiative, that understanding um, that you need to develop yourself in the NFL, the NFL, I think I've told you this before, there it's, it's a league that's not equipped to develop talent at a very high level. Good, mm. good, good organizations. Like I think Baltimore does a really good job of this. They pride themselves on developing talent, but that's, that's the exception, not the rule. And so if you want to make sure you get your opportunity, you have to develop yourself. So what is that? That's staying after, that's going to meetings with Taylor, that's understanding how he sees it, that's asking questions to Scott of your own initiative, right? And I think that's something that as much as people want to say, what does Ron do to develop him? What does Sam do to develop himself? And I think taking right. that responsibility is going to be a big deal for him. And there are things the staff can do. They can support that. They can encourage that. But ultimately, he's got to make those decisions and, and, and kind of take action on his own. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.
Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is the 10-year NFL veteran, Logan Paulson, turn podcaster, so now we have the same job. Uh, thoughts on running more 21 or 22 personnel packages. Uh, would like to see Samuel in the backfield more, as well as uh, Gibson and, and J.D. McKissick sets. Would this play into Heineke's strengths? That question comes from A underscore process. Uh, that's that's a process I can get behind. It's one I've been shouting about for weeks because uh, I think it's a way to maximize their personnel, causes problems for defenses. Uh, and, and I believe, Logan, you've been on the same page. Yeah, I think so. Um, and there was also another question about our defense, right, and how they how the Bears like attack the outside edges, right? So yeah. we're going to kind of hit that together here because I think it's relevant, okay. right? So one of the things about 21 and 22 personnel this is going to maybe seem obvious is oftentimes you need a fullback on the roster to run those personnels. Right. And it's hard to find guys. Just, who can just so we're clear, 21, 22, uh, the number system is backs tight end. So that would be two, two backs, one tight end or two backs, two tight ends, 21, 22 respectively. Uh, so, so obviously typically in 21, one of them is a fullback. However, because of the halfback talent here, pick up Logan Paulson. Yeah. One of them, one of them could be a back potentially. Right. But the thing, so the thing about running the football with a fullback, and we've talked about this before, is that it gives you an opportunity to gain hat advantages to the strength or the weak side of the run. Because if you think about a defense, they have seven guys lined up, they got 40 linemen, three linebackers, and they have kind of like pretty much even, right? But with a fullback in the game, the second I go right, we are now plus in terms of the number of blockers we have. Same thing to the strength, right? And so getting a guy who can eat coffin nails at the fullback position is extremely <laughs> advantageous for running the football. And they don't really have anybody like that on the roster at the moment. You know, they have a lot of very talented backs, but knowing that you're like, oh, this guy could play fullback, a block, be a blocking back in this scheme, right? And again, that's, that's fine because you have guys like Armani who's shown some talent, but you don't want them doing that down in and down out because eventually that's going to be a mismatch for you and him taking on a linebacker or whatever you are asking him to do. So that's one element of that. You mentioned having more backs, right? Having, um, you know, McKissick Gibson and Gibson and, together. And again, that to me almost would play in terms of how I would, would respond from a defensive standpoint. I would get in 13 personnel. And what I mean by that, or I would get in zebra, I would get in 11 personnel. I would match with nickel. There we go. I would match right. nickel. It took me a minute to You get would there. treat the, one of those guys as a wide receiver. Correct. Because I know I'm not having uh, an issue in terms of they're not going to block my linebacker. You know, Gibson's a big guy, but he's not overly physical and he's physical with the ball in his hands, like a lot of guys are. But it's a, it's a, it takes a little bit. He's not bit getting of, out there and creating that same run game advantage by being plus one of the run game because he's probably going to be a decoy, not a blocker. Correct. And there are, so if you watch San Francisco, for example, when they run with Debo Samuel, they have their starting back become sort of a fullback. And that's how they gain their number advantage. And you mentioned Curtis Samuel. We talked about this on a couple pods ago. But you got to be very careful with how you utilize that running back in a blocking situation. Usually you try to put him on a corner or a safety, and you can do that. And if you watch Kyle and that San Francisco offense and even Green Bay with uh, Aaron Jones and they use A.J. Dillon as the blocking back, they find those matchups in creative ways. So you can do that, but you're going to have to push yourself. And I think that gets to the really crux of this is that they do not, they being the commanders, don't want to major in this. They don't want, that's not who they are. That's not who they want to be. And it's tough. It's tough to be really good in 21 and 22. You have to put a lot of time in on that. And then you also have to make sure that your pass concepts marry off of that. I think it's a brilliant idea. I think if you get in 22 personnel with Armani, with Cole, with Bates, and you have the back in the backfield, you have mismatches. You can run different stuff. You kind of bring the defense in tight. So then when you expand, it makes it harder for them to get to their their, their drops, their spots, and match what they're doing, right? You can cross the formation very easily. You can add guys plus or minus. I think it's a brilliant idea. And that's, again, that comes from my background with the West Coast system and Kyle because he believes the same thing. But they don't, they don't do that. That's not who they are. That's not who they want to be. And, uh, and I think that, again, is somewhat disappointing, but uh, that's, they, they haven't shown any proclivity for that. Right. So I, here would be my answer. It depends, right? Like, I certainly agree with them that majoring in it is not ideal because that also, like, you only get five eligibles. And if you are adding an extra back or an extra tight end, uh, you are taking potentially Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, or Jahan Dotson, assuming they are all healthy, off the field. That Correct. is not ideal. I understand why they want to be in 11 personnel, zebra personnel, uh, you know, 
three wide receivers as often as possible because that puts your best three playmakers on the field. And with that said, I would challenge a defense with these personnel concepts. I want to see how they react. Like I'm putting some of this stuff in my first 15, one to give them something to think about, like, but also I want to see, will they match it with big personnel? Because if they will, then I can come back. And I've said this before, like you can come out in 22 personnel in this D in this uh, offense five wide. Like you can split McKissick and Gibson and Rogers and Turner and Thomas, like all these guys, uh, as in Logan Thomas, can all split out in the slot, in bunches, even out wide. And if you drag linebackers out there, that's fantastic. Those are good matchups for you. If in the first 15, they don't, okay, well, now we know that's off the table. Um, but what else can we then do? Uh, can we can we use some of that to our advantage in another way? You don't want to just do it, and then all of a sudden they match a nickel, and now you've got J.D. McKissick lined up against their nickel. Like, that's not a good matchup for you. You should have had a wide receiver there. That's that's a better way to do that. Um, but I do think with how multiple they can be, with the the different personnel that can line up in different places, from tight ends that can line up in line or outside, backs that can line up in the backfield or out wide, a running or a, a wide back, if you will, in Samuel that can line up inside, outside, slot outside, so to speak, or as, as a running back. I think not taking advantage of that and making a defense think instead of just play assignment alignment football is is a miss uh, considering how versatile this offense can be. And, and I think so, that, that's where they've missed right, you know, so far this season is outside of that week one against Jacksonville, they haven't really challenged defense's rules by taking advantage of that versatility. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think the other thing it gives you is it gives you better play action looks. It gives you better... Mm -hmm. Uh, protections off those play action looks and um you know i said i was going to talk about the chicago game and how chicago tried to attack the edges of right. washington defense and one of the things they were able to do is when they get into 12 personnel you can add gaps that way you can say oh we're going to put the two tight ends to the right and you've added a c gap a d gap and an e gap to that side and if you position those guys in a specific way you challenge the defensive ends rules about where they have to line up. And so if you look at kind of what they did versus um, versus Chicago or what Chicago did versus the defense, they put their two guys to that side. They had the inside guy off the ball and the outside guy on the ball in a very wide split. And you can tell the defense ends are like, wait, do I treat this like a bunch? Do I line up outside of this guy? Do I line up inside of this guy? And they Chicago was able to get advantageous looks to the edge. And that's what those other blocking bodies give you in those tight formations. You can do that with receivers. You can do that anytime you condense the formation, you're challenging rules. When it spreads out, it's it becomes very clear. It's like, oh, okay, this guy's there. This guy's here. Neat. But when it's tight, you got to say, what, well, do I line up off the inside shoulder or the outside shoulder? And that's a huge deal because you're actually potentially gapping yourself out just off of alignment. Right. So. That's like you're worried about so much stuff when you're condensed. Like if you're a DN, what you don't want is the film review on Monday where you got cracked by a wide receiver right. and, you know, like pro one, it's an effective way to uh, defend a run when you're on your butt because you, a receiver knocked you out. Two, your pride, that's a big hit. You don't want right. your D-line mates being like, oh, cool, little number 10 knocked you out. So like <laughs> there's so much just head on a swivel stuff that you have to think about in those condensed formations. But when you're preparing uh, for that, and then all of a sudden you audible or shift and go out wide. Like now the defense has to completely reorganize itself. Yeah. And, and so like, that's the other part too, of like using to combine what, what wasn't part of the question, but I think does play into the answer is like some of the motions and shifts that we haven't seen seemingly mm -hmm. in a long time. I think that is another way you can effectively use 21, 22 to kind of play with, hey, we got this covered, we're fine, to like, oh, no, we're not in a good situation. Or we have to figure out to try to get ourselves in a good situation. Ball snap, you don't have time to do it. Miscommunication, and then and then you can generate a big play uh, because you kind of created a defensive mistake. Yeah, absolutely. And in addition to the shifts, I do think you can do some of that same 21-22 personnel stuff with your tight ends. You know, Bates is not the not the greatest off the ball blocker, but he's efficient enough and Armani's shown a proclivity for it. And so you can do some things there again, that would challenge again. We already mentioned the run challenges, right? The play action stuff off of that would be great. And with an off. So when you watch the New York giants, for example, 
they are living and dying by the play action pass in terms of ways to create chunks. Obviously, there's quarterback draws and quick game that Daniel Jones has done a good job of, but the offensive coordinator there is basically like, we're going to pack the box in, we're going to run play action, and you see the linemen get sticky to blocks. And I know we are, we've already talked about how they don't necessarily major in play action either, but that those are opportunities there for you to get better in those in those areas. And we know that the protection's having a tough time, so why not find ways to to make that group more effective? And I think I do think a, a little bit of personnel shifts would be advantageous. Yeah. Um, also things like moving the pocket and, and some of these things that other good offenses do, which leads to another question that you got on Instagram uh, from Austin. And it, Austin's question's long. I'm just going to condense it down to basically, hey, it doesn't look like they're making a lot of adjustments. Uh, and this is fans' favorite criticism no matter what. I think a lot of times we just don't see the adjustments. Uh, it's like happening on a nuanced level. But I do feel like this year that criticism perhaps is a little more valid. Um, so what what do you make about the idea of making in-game adjustments slash week-to-week adjustments in this offense to try to manufacture some of the production that hasn't been there? So that's a really interesting thing. And I didn't really think about this in this way until Austin brought this question up. And what I mean by that is in the NFL, you have so much time to prep for each opponent. You have a week. And I know sometimes it feels rushed, but you tend to know who the defensive coordinator is, what they're trying to do. And very rarely are you surprised by something that they do. I can I can only maybe a handful of times I can think of it in my 10-year career where the coach said, okay, they're doing this. We need to get this change right now. And they have the iPads on the sideline. They can show you the images. They can say, oh, if this guy lines up here, we weren't expecting that, but let's get that done. So the adjustments and the coaching is is a constant thing in terms of scheme, right? Um, but it's really hard to make a halftime adjustment when it comes to concept at the NFL level. And I think what that is is because you rep it, you ha- you're in such a rhythm in terms of repping it in the week. You're kind of like, these are the plays we're running. This is it. And it's really hard to be like, oh, we don't have this play and let's add it in. Do you guys remember this formation? Do you guys remember this? And guys, because there is so much in already, there's so much um, so much volume of play in already, it's hard for guys to kind of say without getting reps and practicing and studying it, that, oh, this is the new play we got in. I got to get this done. Unless the coach is like, all right, in the first drive, we're going to run this play. And then the guy's right. like, I got it, right? Because they'll forget about it because there's so many different nuances to it. So in terms of in-game adjustments, I know that's a very like buzzy type of phrase. It's everybody that in a halftime speech. It's everyone's favorite. It's not that common for them to come in and be like, okay, guys, here we go. It's just to give you, give fans an idea of what that halftime process looks like. You come in, you check in with your position coach. The position coach will be like, all right, we need to make sure we take care of these two items. You're like, okay, pass pro, whatever. Then the, the coach will say, I'm thinking about these plays and he will write them up on the board, on the whiteboard at halftime. The run game coordinator, while also is writing up his favorite runs, and so the coordinator is checking with the run game coordinator about runs, and then then you have your kind of twelve plays they're going to get called when they come out at halftime. So is that an adjustment or is that just good process? And do all teams do that? I would expect that all teams do a variation of that. So that's right. not really an adjustment. That's just like this is the first time we get to talk to the whole offense in one sitting. This is the update on where we're at, what we're trying to get to, and so to me, I think. I think the lack of flexibility in the offense is more an indication of the week's preparation as opposed to in-game things that are changing. Interesting. So when you say that, though, like it's a reflection of the fact that you work on so much stuff during the week that it's hard to actually add stuff, or it's like reflection uh, if some if a team is struggling, it's a reflection they did a bad job during the week. Correct. Okay. Correct. So but they did a they they they. they they were not properly prepared in the week for what the defense is bringing, right? Because you you kind of, you, when you're game planning, you say, this is what they do, so let's right. prep for that. What are they going to do to us? And if I'm the commanders, I'm saying they're probably going to bring some type of pressure on third down, and they're probably going to have more people in the box than we're expecting or that they've shown in the week. And what is our answer if they do do that? So what does an actual adjustment look like? Is it like, hey, we prepared these two, we prepared A and B as potential solutions. We've been doing a lot of A, we're going to start doing more of B. Correct, yes. And if A and B aren't working, you're screwed or you just try to go to C and see if guys can do it. So it's, it's most of the time you have, you have 70 plays in. So Mm -hmm. you have these A, right? Priority number one, which are like your, 
you're going to call those anyway. So for us, it was like some form of outside. When I was with Kyle, Chicago, San Francisco, all these different spots, some form of outside zone, some play action off of that, some tight zone, some play action off of that. And that's, that's your A, right? Mm-hmm. The B column is the concepts off the play action that he doesn't like, right? So if they're not working, let's say they're matching those concepts really well, it's like, okay, we want, like, we, let's say hypothetically, we wanted to do, we're two by two, two receiver side, we're going to do, run a big corner and an out. And they're matching that really well. So now instead of running a big corner and an out, we're going to run a, what I, what I call like a blaze, a blaze pylon. So it's like you fake like you're going to the corner and then you run a post and the corner is going to cut that and then you throw off of that. So mm-hmm. that's an adjustment, but that's already been addressed at some point in the week, right? Right. And, and it's play. like one play, you see, it, yeah. which sometimes is enough to change a game, right? Like sometimes Absolutely. you get you get the one play and it's the the chunk play, the scoring play. It's the 80-yard touchdown and you're like, ah, halftime adjustments. Yeah, they right. were jumping the route, so we ran the counter to it. Like that doesn't right. take a genius. But if your problem is in pass protection and you have not, you don't have a solution for Aaron Donald, like, yeah, you can start trying to up. double team him or whatever. But like if you didn't think to Aaron, double team Aaron Donald during the week, uh, you're you're probably already up a creek without a paddle. That's 1,000% right. So that meeting, let's talk about protections. We're talking about that on Monday. We're going to talk about it on Tuesday. We're going to talk about it on Wednesday. I, I said Monday, but the first day that you have install, which is Wednesday. So your mm-hmm. Wednesday, Thursday, and then every single day you have a, a specific area. So first and second down protection plan, third down protection plan. You have whole meetings about that. And in the meeting, they'll be like, let's say you're playing LA, the Rams. It's like, okay, Every single protection we're calling this week, we're going to call something in the huddle, but we want you to check it to Aaron Donald, no matter where he is. So the slide's always going to Aaron. And then the back has to know that when I hear the check, my responsibilities change. So it's a whole comprehensive process. I remember when we played Aaron Donald when I was in San Francisco, and it was like the fullback, if you're into the game, and I had to, I was the backup fullback, you have to find Aaron Donald every single play, no matter where he is, and chip him. So even if I was supposed to go out on the left and he was on the right, I would have to wrap around and chip him, help the guard every single time. And that was the plan. So out of 21, that's what we did. And so I think, again, the plan was established in the week. And if and you see offenses struggle tremendously when that plan goes kibosh. It just doesn't work. It just isn't, isn't a thing, you know? And that's the thing that is so overwhelming when you come to the sideline and it's like, this is what we prepped. And the coaches have just got like this thousand-yard stare, like, because it's hard to kind of – every individual coach is kind of saying, all right, tight ends, we need to make sure we do this. And the O-line kind of – but it's hard to kind of get a, a whole comprehensive game plan. And I remember there was one time where one of the play-action passes we, we did wasn't work. So uh, Kyle's like, hey, I really want to run. It was – instead of Wanda man, it was Wanda Y man, which just basically meant I crossed the center to the far side linebacker instead of the near side linebacker. And that's an in-game adjustment, but he did that in the third quarter. And was like, Logan, can you handle this? He didn't tell anybody else. He just told me. And I was mm-hmm. like, got it. And and then sometimes, this is funny, like sometimes if the player is really smart, he won't even tell you. And you just expect you to know. He did, he did that. He's done that to me before. Like, oh, we didn't have, we haven't run this for three weeks, but I'm going to call it. And so again, that's his in-game adjustment. But how you get that communicated, and it doesn't have to be at halftime. It could be in the first quarter. Like, who, who knows? Like, if, if that's right. how good you feel about it. So the in, the in game adjustment thing is is a is is more fluid now than it was kind of thirty years ago because you have iPads you have this immediate communication on the sideline like you come off I think I don't know what people think happens but you go to the bench and the coach has a, has every play written down and he goes over every single play with you and the iPad and what happened in the result and he almost gives you a grade right there on the sideline so that's how immediate that feedback is. And right. If, and, yeah. and if you can correct the technique, like that's an in-game adjustment. Like, sure. hey, we need you to get or, or remind you of your assignment. Maybe the right. play got messed up because, God dang it, Logan, like you were supposed to get to that guy. And it's like, right. hey, buddy, on this play, you need to get there. And it's like, okay, I got it. Our in-game adjustment was Logan blocked his guy. Like, right. um, well, this happened, and that's, this- that sometimes is is what football is. I think a lot a lot of times, and we took, talk a lot about schematics and schematics influence a player's ability to actually do the job, right? Like a good plan will maximize chances of a player doing the right thing. That is why a good plan is important. But at the end of the day, it's also a game of execution. Like Mm -hmm. you want to be able to, as a player, look back and be like, yep, I did the job. And if if 11 guys do it, there'll be a good result on the play. And if 10 guys do it, you know, the, the, the odds shift. Uh, depending on who the one is. If the quarterback is is the guy who doesn't do a good job because he throws the ball 10 feet over the guy's head, like obviously that's going to be an incompletion. 
Yeah. Um, you know, if the backside receiver screws up his route and it doesn't really matter and you might still get, you might still get a, a good outcome. So, um, but at the end of the day, like, I do think sometimes the adjustments or like, you know, Jay used to say this all the time. Hey, what changed? Well, I don't know. We just played better. It's like, or like we stopped playing good. And it's like, <laughs> sometimes as, as unsatisfying as that is, as media and fans, sometimes it's as simple as that is like the adjustment on the sideline was a guy got his ass in gear and started playing better. Yeah. Well, and it's this is again, this is like a little bit story time with Logan, but there yeah! was a time there was a time where we were running power and we ran power, which is like down blocks on the front side and you pull the backside guard, right? And our rule was on the front side double with the two tight ends, you gotta go all the way back to basically the strong safety. And I remember we ran it once and I was like, that didn't really feel right. Like I felt like I could have maybe got that Mike linebacker. He kind of triggered a little bit more. And the guard came up to me. I think it was Chris Chester and says, Hey, do you think you can get that guy next time? And I said, I think so. I'll get him next time. And the next time we did it, it was a 10 yard gain because basically the, that, that guy was blowing up the play side guard and it was picking the guard. And so that's even in play, right? Having that, you know, that kind of connection with guys on the team and getting that stuff worked out is so, so critical. And so those relationships, you know, everyone talks about the O-line being banged up. That's where that kind of communication becomes significant, right? And um, and again, like I just thinking back on that, like I remember Kyle or Sean saying, you want to find players who can take that initiative and kind of change stuff on their own. And then kind of to my second point, when you watch NFL, I watched probably five football games today because I'm a, I'm a loser. But, <laughs> but... What happens is you'll see, even with good offenses, they'll take a negative play or a neutral play, second and 10, and it's a bad play call. Let's just say like they call a play, it's a little bit trick, you know, kind of tricky, whatever it is, and it doesn't hit. They're in second and 10, and then they make a mistake and it's third and five. That stalls drives more than anything. Lack of execution from the play caller and from the team stalls drives more than any other variable that I see. It's like that would have been a touchdown but the play caller made a weird play call here or this guard missed his block and now they're in a tough spot and they can't overcome it. That is so common. So when I look at that, this team suffers from that, but they're not unique in that suffering. Mm -hmm. Every team in the NFL suffers from that. So that's, I think what Jay's speaking to is, is like you're playing poorly and then some of those things you missed earlier, you start to hit. And then all of a sudden the offense is ticking and moving the ball really well. I, I feel like this team does not do a good job of finding that, that that tick the thing that gets you going and that's maybe um i don't know what that is it feels like play calling feels like execution it's it's an amalgamation of things i think right and they feed into each other and it's hard to tell which is the chicken and which is the egg take command podcast from odyssey sports all right wrapping up the show with one or two more questions darren asks how do you guys feel like wild goose has been playing obviously he's come in uh the the latest on william jackson is that he denied that he's made a trade request but all the reporting is out there i'm going to say that he probably didn't go and ask anybody but his agent did uh, that is probably <laughs> the most most realistic uh thing there uh ron rivera said today uh, again tuesday as we're recording this that jackson will continue to rehab his back he was asked hey well when he's healthy is he going to play and he's like well we'll see about that so uh, the commanders, per reported, per reporting, uh, are aware that he wants out, and they're going to try to accommodate that. So uh, we'll see. But in terms of Wild Goose, like his ability to come in and play impacts his decision massively because part of the reason Jackson continued to play outside was that was still their best three corners was Jackson, yeah. Fuller, and and St. Juice inside. Now it's pretty clear they don't think that is the case anymore, and I guessing based off your film study that has a large uh to do with rashad wild goose's development i think the biggest thing is that um benjamin st juice is just that much he's been that how do i word this he has he's been, been better than jackson correct he's been better than jackson yeah right and so that, and that, is, that gap is more significant than st juice to wild goose inside correct that's that's the thing right there so um so I think Wild Goose is actually done a really good job, really good. He's just he's done a fine job. He's he's not made any big plays, but he's not made any big mistakes, and that's more than can be said for that arrangement before William Jackson mm -hmm. III was out. And now he against Philadelphia, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, he had a hard time against AJ Brown. Right? Is that yeah, AJ Brown in yeah. the slot? That's a tough matchup, but he's kind of evolved and grown and. There was a shot against the uh, the Bears where he was in better phase with a worse receiver and, and makes a play or makes it a tough catch. And so 
level of competition is always going to be a thing for him, but that's the thing with most nickels in the NFL, right? They're always going to have a challenge. That's why they're the nickel. They're playing the hardest coverage position on the field. You have to fit runs. You have to guard slot corners. You have to guard number one corners and or one receiver, excuse me. So I think he's done fine. I think he'll continue to do fine. And I think they've, you know, they found it's interesting. The guys that have been very impactful to this defense's resurgence recently are guys like John Ridgeway and Wild Goose. And it's not that they're doing anything exceptional, but they've allowed people like for in Ridgeway's case, Allen and Payne to move to their more natural positions. And in Wild Goose's case, it's allowed Benjamin St. Juice to play outside more and get more snaps and be more impactful on the game. So um, it's funny how those additions and that depth become so significant. Yeah, the other thing I would ask on Wild Goose slash St. Juice slash Jackson Fuller, et cetera, is like, has the play calling changed? Like, were they trying to balance this idea that Jackson's a man corner? We have to get him some snaps in man and Fuller's his own corner. We have to do that. And now it's like St. Juice and Fuller match. So we can just call the things that we think are best. Like, has, has the defensive play calling changed at all uh, the last couple of weeks compared to where it was earlier in the uh, earlier in the season? That's a really good question. Um, my gut says no. I haven't like charted this or anything, so I don't know. But no. Um, and I think this is kind of a weird thing to say, but Benjamin St. Juice is probably more of a man corner anyway, right? But he's been able to adopt the rules and play in zone and do things that uh, William Jackson III was not able to do. And so I think there is an incentive still to call man because one of your corners is a very good man player, Benjamin St. Juice. Um, however, this is not a man defense. Nobody in the NFL runs man with any kind of regularity anymore. I think the highest percentage is like 37% right now through six games. And it's by like new England and they were in the sixties last year. So everyone's coming back off this idea and everyone's adopting this zone principle with match concepts. Green Bay is kind of one of the first ones that did it Buffalo. And now every single team does it. Jack does it right. They are that's the direction defenses are going. So for William Jackson III to say, I'm a man exclusively corner, you're basically saying there's no spot for you in the NFL at the moment. I think that's a little bit silly to say that because nobody's playing man with any kind of regularity. So, you know, are they calling anything different? No. Do they play man coverage? Yes. They like it on third and short, and that's where they call it. But outside of that, they're going to play be playing, you know, some variation of quarters in the red zone. They sprinkle in some man cover three, cover six when they're in the field and they play match underneath. So it oftentimes looks like man, but you know, you have to communicate, you have to understand concepts. And I think this group is just playing much more consistent, consistently, excuse me, um, under those coverage constraints. Uh, because I have this ability, I went ahead and looked it up. Uh, I should have had this ready before I asked the question, but I didn't know I was going to ask the question before the podcast. So according to pro football focus and true media on first and second down, uh, the percentages have been fairly consistent man versus zone uh, throughout the season uh, from Jacksonville to Detroit, Philly, Dallas, Tennessee, Chicago. In that order, you have a percent man, 28, 17, 38, 31, 23, 26. So they, they were a little bit heavier man, I guess, in Philly, Dallas. Um, they, they were they're back to where they were those first two weeks of the season uh, in the 20s. And I mean, they were only 17 percent against Detroit. So that's on first and second down. You take that you know, the down uh, part of it away. Uh, they definitely are playing a little bit more man, as you said, on third down, you add that back into it. It's somewhere between 25 and 35%. Um, and ironically against Chicago, they, it was one of their highest of the season, but I think that has to, more to do with Chicago's receivers. They didn't think we're that sure. good. Um, so it's like, yeah, we'll man up against you guys because fields ain't going to beat us. Um, interesting choice against a scrambling quarterback, but that's a different but they do, they do play more man in red zone situations. So if you look at Philly, mm. for example, they were in the red zone quite a bit. And if you look at Chicago, they were in the red zone more, more yeah, seemingly have, more, right? So I think that lot. that's another thing that you'll see when you're looking at those coverage breakdowns is situations will dictate pretty drastically um, coverage responses, right? So, for example, we were breaking down, you and I were breaking down the Detroit film and week one, they were, they ran like something crazy, like 28% zero coverage snaps, which is ridiculous. That's an insane percentage. But then you go watch the film and you see that every time they're inside the five, they play zero. And basically mm -hmm. whoever they were playing week one, I forget who it was, Philadelphia was inside the five for like 17 or 20 snaps of the game. So obviously that's going to really skew, uh, skew those percentages. So I think also that's an important thing when you're looking at 
these breakdowns of coverages. Yeah, uh, I have the red zone numbers in front of me. Do you want just first and second down, or you want uh, just I mean, red zone in general? I'm just having fun talking percentages right now. All right, I know so we this got isn't, this is not great co- ponte, uh, podcast content, but who cares? Yeah, we can we can put some of this in a graphic if we want to. <laughs> uh, so whatever whatever you think is the best uh, actual percentage, I will I will try to get that in graphical form, and we can put that out there. But um, the last three weeks, uh, non red zone snaps, they are 27, 25, 28. Uh, percent man so 72 73 70 uh percent in uh zone and if you want to add the down uh you know variable to this of just first and second down where third down tends to get a little bit crazy uh you know you're 30 percent 23 percent only 18 percent uh last week so they definitely did play a lot more zone on first and second down outside the red zone last week and those percentages have been coming down a little bit um in the in the weeks that william jackson third has been gone so um, you know, some of that, again, we could continue to go into exact yeah. situations, but right, on right. average, it has come down a little bit. Um, but again, that's also like you're playing Justin Fields. You're not going to yeah. play a bunch of man coverage and let him run around. Correct. Third down might be a little bit different where you're blitzing and trying to heat him up. So, sure. um, but to answer the original question, Rashad Wild Goose first, first, uh, first day was rough when he had to play emergency duty when Jackson was ruled out on Sunday morning, uh, and, and whatever, <laughs> you know, the injury popped up on Saturday. But in the weeks he's gotten a better chance to prepare, uh, certainly he's been he's been pretty solid. Uh, so good job out of him to to not let that first outing bust his confidence and, and bounce back and play well. All right, uh, that's it for the pod this week. Great questions. Thanks for submitting them. We will certainly do more mailbags as the season goes on when the opportunity presents. On Friday, uh, we will dive into the Packers. I know Logan's been watching the film on them. What's going on with Aaron Rodgers in that offense? Can they can they bounce back or is he scared they're going to bounce back against this <laughs> commander's defense that has been playing very well uh, the last couple of weeks certainly uh, point production wise has been exceptional the last couple of weeks and then what does the offense look like against this green bay defense with heineke at the helm so we'll talk about that on friday make sure you're subscribed anywhere you are listening right now for the full podcast episode some clips will be up on youtube as well uh, just search Craig Hoffman, my channel on YouTube, and you can watch us talk there if that is something that is appealing to you. We'll see you on Friday. Thanks for watching slash listening here on Take Care.